Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Good morning, and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. And today we are talking about something that probably is perhaps even maybe a little bit uncomfortable. Um, We're talking today about the Bible and money. And you'll notice that I'm looking a little different here today because I have my husband with me, Lucas Marshall. Um, Most of you do not get to see him as a face in the Money Advantage. Um, If you're listening to the show, you probably maybe heard him once a couple of years ago, but he's coming on today because there is just a lot of um, substance and depth to the questions that we receive on a regular basis about the Bible and money. And specifically what we're addressing today is the question, is money the root of all evil? So first, before I say any more, I just wanted to say, Bruce, thank you for um, being with us today and leaning into this challenging and uncomfortable topic. Um, And Lucas, thank you for joining us on the show today. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's a I guess it could be an uncomfortable topic for, if a person lets it be an uncomfortable topic. You know, uh, we've mentioned Kobe on the show show several times, and um, you know, I'm a six five five five. People really understand that's a mediator, so I I tend to just say even keel. I really don't understand on social media how people get so adamant about a topic. Mm-hmm. But you're right when our listeners um, attack certain things. I think it behooves us just to, you know, tell people you're entitled to your own opinion, but this is our interpretation and we respect everybody's opinion, but this is our interpretation. So if you'd like to listen to us here, here's our interpretation. So I think this is a good, it will be a good episode. Yeah. Thank you, Bruce. And, you know, I just, I wanted to preface this a little bit. Um, We have done a lot of, shows, but specifically several with Rabbi Daniel Lapin. And uh, we talk frequently about the foundations for building wealth that are found in the Bible. He has the book, The Ten Commandments. What is it called? Thou Shall Prosper, The Ten Commandments for Making Money. I think it's the, the byline of the book. I'm probably misquoting that, but the title of the book is Thou Shall Prosper. We've had it back on the show several times. And some of the commentary that we get back from um, YouTube specifically has been very specific in the ideas of what the Bible has to say about money. And so we wanted to just address that directly today. Um, Sometimes there's a lot of confusion and tension and challenge around the idea of what does the Bible say about money and how should I then see money health in a healthy perspective in my life. So today we're really going to be digging into the idea of what is the love of money, what it isn't, and what is the proper view of money so that we can flourish and we can be in right relationship, not only with making wealth, but also in our relationship with God and our relationship with ourselves and our relationship with others. And I'll just say at the forefront of this, that a lot of our thinking, and Lucas is going to go into this a little more in our culture comes down to some basic and fundamental misunderstandings of what the Bible and scripture actually means when it talks about the love of money. So um, I'll go ahead and hit it over to you. Um, I'll yeah, let so you we, jump in here. We wanted to, uh, we, we've had, as Rachel said, some comments on the, uh, 
on YouTube regarding the specific episode we did with Rabbi Lapin. Um, <clears throat> and so it's, it's apparent, uh, and it makes sense logically, right? We, we, in America, English speaking, we read the Bible translations. We don't have the original language. Uh, the, the Bible was originally written in Hebrew for the Old Testament, uh, some, some Aramaic, and then Greek for the New Testament. Um, <clears throat> and so you have to imagine, right, there's all these manuscripts of the original language. Now, we know they're well-preserved, and you can compare them, and you can pretty much see that for many hundreds, thousands of years, they were kept preserved, right? That, so, but then they're translated to English, and there's not a good 100% translation for these for a lot of this. And so that leads to people reading it, a translation, and not really fully understanding or grasping what's being, what is being said or communicated. And so um, this, this particular comment, has, uh, I'll just read part of it. We'll cover this in another episode. I urge you to beware of this false teaching. Beware, don't be deceived by this false prosperity gospel taught by this ministry. The name of this ministry as the money advantage itself must raise a red flag. Most prosperity preachers pick up on the words power to get wealth and apply it to gain personal riches. Uh, so, A, we're not a ministry. <laughs> Let's get that straight. Um, the money. Yeah, so, what are we? We are entrepreneurs in the wealth industry who help people keep control more of their money. Mm -hmm. And um, it just so happens that some of us on the Money Advantage team happen to be believers in Christ or Christians, but that does not make uh, our business. Business cannot be a Christian, right? A country cannot be a Christian. Only an individual can be a Christian or, or whatever faith mm -hmm. you want to profess, right? You can't. So, um, yeah, the Money Advantage is, is, a, is a business. We just so happen to talk a lot about money, and it just so happens that the Bible this is a book that has had a lot of influence and talks a lot about money. So um, I would like to add I wanna, in oh, go ahead. on this is that anyone can dig into scripture and the meaning of scripture, and you don't have to be a pastor or a leader in a church specifically to do that. And so it's beneficial to all and any of us to really find out what the meaning of the word of God is so that we can apply it correctly to our lives and not just be led by what we think it says and what we think the meaning is, because that can, I mean, just the same as can happen in your financial life. When you just have the status quo thinking or a one small phrase being thrown around that you build your entire philosophy on, it's a watery, unsubstantial foundation, and it doesn't help you most effectively. So just the same way you want to understand your financial life so you can make good decisions. It's also really important to find out what does scripture and the word actually mean, especially if you're going to hinge your entire philosophy of what you think about money on it. Yeah. I want to go back to something that they said in the comment, they pro prosperity gospel. So we get a lot of comments saying we're prosperity gospel preachers or specifically on this video, right? Because the title of the video was thou shall prosper. So we got this rabbi on the show and somehow people were thinking, that's what our show is about. They probably didn't even watch the whole video. And then they're just, they were like making this negative comment and probably leaving. Um, <clears throat> so I honestly, I mean, I've heard the term prosperity gospel my whole life growing up in church, but I honestly didn't really know what does that really actually mean? So I just looked it up. Prosperity gospel is a theology um, sometimes referred to as the health and wealth gospel, the gospel of success or seed faith. 
It's a religious belief among some Protestant Christians that financial blessing and physical well-being are always the will of God for them. The key being always the will of God for you. And that faith, positive speech, and donations to religious causes will increase one's material wealth. Let me make it really clear. Uh, the Money Advantage, again, is a business, but it is not my belief. I don't think anyone on our Money Advantage team believe uh, that um, that b- believe that that we we are proponents of obtaining wealth through peaceful trade, <laughs> mm-hmm. and believe it's noble to do so. But we aren't we aren't saying that it, um, God promises you wealth in the 20th century if you simply uh, have faith, right? That's not that's not what I don't think anyone on our team believes that, right? We just believe that money is a tool. It's a moral. It's a magnifier of your soul. It'll make you more of who you are. Um, and so I think what we're stating is just the obvious, right? God has given each of us talents and abilities. And if you use them to provide a lot of value to a lot of people, you can become wealthy. And say so you no guarantees, but you can become wealthy if you can mm-hmm. figure out how to provide a lot of value to a lot of people. And I think that's really what at the core of what we believe. So I think that's a really good frame for this because I mean, honestly, if if you have the perspective of saying, well, just being a Christian or serving God means you will become wealthy, then that just gets all kinds of backwards and really convoluted ideas because we are not promised health. We're not promised wealth. We're not promised a long life. Um, the fact that we're here and living and breathing is a tremendous, wonderful, beautiful gift. And we want to figure out how to do that as best as possible. But we have a lot of responsibility on our part to learn how to use the gifts and skills and abilities to provide the value so that we can have the right understanding so we can create wealth. It's not just a a given. So Lucas, before you go in further into your discussion, um, I think it's important to, to realize that a lot of people believe in things that they hear, but don't believe in things that they research or so I think this is something that happens in everyday life. It, it, it causes gossip. It causes people to have ill feelings towards each other because they heard something. And uh, a, a myth repeated over and over still makes it a myth. And what we're really trying to do today is not necessarily preach the gospel. What we're trying to say is, why don't you research and listen to different points of views, and then you can make your own interpretation, but not just go on what one person has told you or several people have told you over your lifetime? Um, because I think that's the best way to learn. I've changed my opinion on several things um, in recent years. Cryptocurrency is a great example of one um, just recently. Mm-hmm. I've, also, I've also changed my uh, opinion on how to live my life a lot of times. Um, that's much different than a lot of other people, the way they live their lives. So, um, and it's just through constant research, constant getting somebody else's opinion, even if it's different from your own. Yeah. I think that's kind of the mindset of a truth seeker, right? You're never, it's like, if you're a true scientist, it's never really settled. You're always questioning. You're always asking. You're always saying, what is the truth behind this? Is there something I'm missing? Uh, and you're still open to um, about reevaluating and or questioning your current position on something. And I think that's right. a much better position to be in than to say, well, I figured it all out. <laughs> um, right. Right. So, I mean, and one other thing I wanted to talk about briefly before we will jump into that verse that talks about love of money, but 
is context. And this is something I learned when I, when I, uh, I don't have a formal to full degree in theology, but I took a, a, about a year's worth of theological classes. And one thing that was hammered into me over and over and over was context. You, um, you, you can't, it's, it's dangerous to take one scripture and then just base a belief around that, right? You, you, uh, you have to consider, um, like we already said, the, the, the language you're reading it in the translation, but then you have to consider um, each scripture in, in light of all the other scriptures. So you have to look at the Bible as a whole and say, okay, it says this here, but what is, what is all the other references to that topic and or uh, verse or those words say? Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is you have to think about well, who, who is being spoken to, uh, what was going on culturally at that time, um, what historical events are taking place. Uh, so there's a lot of factors and you got to factor in the context of which you're reading that. And so uh, let's, let's go ahead. We'll talk about the love of money. That's first Timothy six, nine through 10. Um, you want to, you want to go through this part here? How do you um, wanna... Sure. So what I'll just say here is um, there's a lot of times where any discussion about money or making more of it or managing it well, or investing well, can lead someone to hear in the back of their mind this verse or this reference to a verse. And it's that we start feeling like the whole concept and context of money in general is evil. So there is a verse and it specifically is first Timothy six, nine through 10. Did you want to get into it? I can do that. All right. Um, So before we get into the verse, there's this feeling that, money is the root of all evil. And it's interesting that on one hand, we have a belief about money. And yet on the other hand, we spend a lot of our life pursuing it and finding out how to have it benefit our life. So the incongruence comes when we believe that money is evil, or we think that it must be evil, and yet we're pursuing it. So there must be something then wrong with us. We must be evil at heart if we are trying to figure out how to use and manage and grow and create money and wealth. So that disconnect creates this huge incongruence and that almost can hamstring us because we need to be congruent with our philosophy in our living. We need to be congruent spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, and have that integration of all the parts of us together, not being inconsistent. And so you know, um, this kind of comes back to something that John and Missy Butcher said, we'll share more of their quote towards the end. But the dilemma is in the fact that we go to school anywhere to t- from 12 to 20 years, if you're um, in the medical profession, it's probably even more than 20. Uh, yet we never really learn what money is, how to make it, and what to do with it. Then we go out into the world and we spend most of our time trying to get that very thing that we hardly know anything about. And so Robert Kiyosaki um, is not not uh, writing scripture, but he says money is not evil. Ignorance about money is evil. So that's uh, a really interesting perspective here. So let's come to the verse for a second. Yeah, let's look at what the Bible says. <clears throat> so First Timothy six nine through ten. I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation. Um, that's a translation I use often, um, and then we'll look at it in a couple other translations. But people who long or in this case, to will, who will to be rich, fall into, the temp- into temptation and are trapped by many foolish 
and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Verse 10, for the love of money, which in Greek here is the word avarice, is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Let's look at the, here's another translation, the message translation, uh, verse nine. But if it's only money, so I think here it's getting a little closer to the uh, actual meaning here. It's saying if it's only money these leaders are after, they'll self-destruct in no time. Uh, Verse 10, lust for money brings trouble and nothing but trouble. Going down that path, some lose their footing in the faith completely and live to regret it bitterly ever after. All right, so if you just read it at face value in English. Let's back up for one second. So the distinction right here, first of all, is money is not evil. The Bible's talking about the love of money is the root of all evil. So first, we just need to clear that whole idea that money's evil in the first place, because that has nothing to do with what the Bible says. Secondly, if the love of money is the root of all evil, then what exactly is the love of money? I think we get really confused around this idea. So this is what we're going to dig into. What is yeah. exactly the love of money? So like going back to the fact that we're reading a translation, this is English, right? We only have one word for love. Um, <clears throat> the love of, you would conclude that the love of money is bad, but we have to dive a little bit deeper. We need to go, we're going to go back to the Greek, what it was originally what these words mean, but I want to also read the Amplified Translation as it says in English more clearly what you will find when you start to dig into the Greek and what the Greek words are saying. And uh, um, something that we'll get to is that the Greek language has many words and many nuanced distinctions you'll just not, you don't find in other languages. All right, so here's 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10 in the Amplified Translation. But those who are not financially ethical and crave to get rich with a compulsive, greedy longing for wealth, fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction, leading to personal misery. That's verse 9. So here we start to see um, financially, are not financially ethical. They're compulsive, greedy, longing for wealth. It's like I said, insatiable. Verse 10, for the love of money, that is the greedy desire for it and the willingness to gain it unethically is a root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves through and through with many sorrows. So here you're seeing uh, what I believe is the a very, a, a much more accurate translation from the Greek. And, and we'll dive into why that is, but um, you're seeing all of a sudden it's this desire and willingness to get it unethically if you're willing to harm harm other people mm-hmm. in the pursuit of money well then clearly uh that that's going to cause problems and so that means there's some major character flaws yeah um so let's look look at verse nine real quick that we're uh if we go back to the new living translation but people who long to be rich right say that 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 word long there is really the word uh bowl i don't know how to i don't know how to pronounce exactly bowl of may to will it means to will Right. So we look at the strongest concordance um, to will, to determine Thayer's Greek dictionary to have a purpose, to be minded. It's a desire. The Vines Greek dictionary to whoosh, to will deliberately expresses more strongly than thelo, which is uh, another word for will. It's just more of like a whoosh. It's not as strong. And then the, the help from the helps word studies. 
It's a strong term that underlies a predetermined and determined, and the keyword intention driving the planning. Um, so we can see, right, it, in, it indicates this continual, continuous desire of, of, of some people, in this case, to get riches. And in this context, it represents a consuming and driving passion. Someone's sole life purpose has become the accumulation of money and only that. Uh, so let me move on to verse 10. And the word that's being used for when it says love of money is uh, philargoria in the Greek, which most accurately, like English translation would be avarice, but also means love of money. Uh, in vines, the philagoria is a combination of phileo, to love, and argaros, which means silver. So to love silver. I mean, silver was money or, and is money and has been money for many years. Um, <clears throat> then uh, you'll notice there's this note in the Vines Greek Dictionary referring to trench. It says trench contrasts this with pleonexia, which means covetousness. Um, and we're going to come back to that. I think that that's important. Um, Thayer's Greek lexicon refers to avarice, or in this in this specific case, Bulgaria as avarice. The English Merriam-Webster <laughs> Dictionary: avarice, excessive or insatiable, and incapable of being satisfied desire for wealth or gain. So um, clearly, this isn't a normal, natural appetite. This is something that <laughs> is, is unnatural. A more formal synonym for greed: avarice has a long, if uncomplicated, history in English. Um, Chaucer, in his 14th century, The Parson's Tale, compelled, compared avarice with covetize, a now obsolete word that means covetousness. So they're comparing this use of this word avarice or love of money as avarice with covetous. Um, Sorry. And avarice being to withhold and keep some things as thou hast without rightful need. So avarice person being someone who's miserly, right? They're holding on to it. What's interesting is both the Vines Greek Dictionary refers to trench uh, and a comparing of these two words, and the Merriam-Webster compares avarice to covetousness. And trench was, um, uh, there's uh, R.C. Trench, 1800s uh, art, Anglican archbishop and poet. He wrote a book called The Synonyms of the New Testament. And, and if you were to go to Amazon and just look up this book, right? One of the first things you're going to read is Greek, a language spoken by a people of the subtlest intellect who saw distinctions where others saw none, who divided out to different words what others often were content to huddle confusedly under a common term. That's like the preface. That says a lot. Right? So the Greeks were so, so many nuances for each word. Um, now, so it's important. We're going to Trench made this comparison. Uh, the the Merriam-Webster made this question. So now let's look at covetousness in the Greek, right? Uh, strongest concordance. The word is pleonexia. By implication, fraudulency, extortion, covetous practices, greediness. And we go back to when we read the verse, right? Well, in the Amplified, it talks about financially unethical. Now we're hearing fraudulency, extortion. These are the words tied with covetousness. And it's important. And the reason I say that is because... Um, these words are so intertwined. Uh, so in vines, right, pleonexia is uh, a desire to have more, always in a bad sense. Uh, so trench. That's the key part, always in a bad sense. Trench, R.C. Trench, when he, in his synonyms, points out the main distinction between the two as being between covetousness and avarice. 
Pleonexia having a much wider and deeper sense. It's the genus of which Philogoria or avarice is the species. So he just says the covetous man is cruel as well as grasping, while the avaricious, avaricious man is simply miserly, hating to spend money and stenting. So clearly somebody in scarce, extreme scarcity. Mm-hmm. And that is what the love of money, that word is right there. It's the avarice man. So the person who loves money in the sense of what the, the Greek is saying in that, in that verse is this avarice, miserly, hating to spend money uh, mindset. The Merriam-Webster says covetousness is marked by an inordinate desire for wealth or possessions of for another for another's possessions. Then here's this. Uh, I really like this. John W. Rittenbaugh wrote a book called Forerunner. I haven't, I haven't read the book in its entirety, but he defines pleonexia, a philosophical a philosophical concept which rough, roughly corresponds to greed, covetousness, or avarice and is strictly defined as the insatiable desire to have what rightfully belongs to others. He said it's, it's, he describes it as the ruthless self-seeking and an arrogant assumption that others and things exist for one's own benefit. Mm. So there's another thing. There's a book, I I can't remember the title, but he talks about what the true, what what this person, the author believed was the true uh, root of evil was the desire to have power over other human beings, to lord over others. Right. And so if you desire money more than people and it's, it's ruthless self-seeking an arrogant assumption that others and things exist for your own benefit. I mean, that really is. I, uh, there's some, something there to that. Right. This desire to rule over other people. You really you you, you don't value yourself or others um, or you only value yourself. And by doing so, you really don't value yourself. But yeah, but, so um, that's really interesting that you say that. Can I share something? Yeah. So what's really interesting is that I'm also in the process of reading a book called Your New Money Story. And we all have a money story. We all have a relationship with money. Maybe we haven't necessarily considered what that story is. But for anyone who has not spent time considering their viewpoint, it can feel that the answer to having everything that you want in life is more money. And it can feel that there's never a point that you have enough. And if you are always seeking more money, the challenge can be that when you get the more money, you still feel the emptiness. You still feel that somehow there's still not enough. And there's been studies done on this. There's a lot of um, brain psychology that goes around this. And I don't want to get too deep into all of this, but we have dopamine when we're in anticipation. It's the pleasure chemical in the brain. And the challenge is that when we receive the reward that we're looking forward to, then we kick over into norepinephrine and that's a maintenance mode. And we don't feel the same rush after we get the thing that we've been wanting for or wanting so long. And we realize that ultimately the only thing that will make you satisfied is to be satisfied exactly with who you are, what you are, and what you have right now. And then anything that's added to that will add to your fulfillment and satisfaction, but more money will not satisfy. And I think when we look back at the Bible and it's talking about the love of money, we often falsely assume and have this illusion 
that just getting more money is going to make me feel everything I want to feel in life, successful, loved, all of the things that we want to feel about ourselves in our life, we think can be solved by more money. And when we just pursue more money, we realize it is empty. I'm going to read one um, piece from this chapter here. The Greek philosopher Epicurus said, nothing is good enough for the man for whom enough is too little. And what that is all saying is that if we can figure out how to be content and at peace with exactly what we have right now, I'm saying the opposite of what Epicurus said, then having more will feel good. But if enough doesn't satisfy, there's no amount of money that will ever be enough. I think that just relates really well to this idea that continuing to pursue money is an illusion that does not satisfy. But truly understanding what money is then allows you to be in right relationship with yourself and truly uh, embracing and appreciating yourself for who you are and then being in right relationship with people, which allows you to have a right understanding of money and of God. Bruce, were you going to say something there? Well, I just think it, I, there was, this was very timely. Um, yesterday I read an article, I think it was in the wall street journal or New York times of a 20, it was a 26 year old student who was sitting in a, coffee shop watching all of people approximately her entire age or approximately her age, excuse me. And, you know, she says, I'm typing on my MacBook. Um, I have my, my phone. Um, I'm, I'm looking at all these people with designer clothes. And yet the, the narrative that is, is uh, in our society right now is that we need to get people, young people, who have never experienced prosperity. That was her words. That, that, that she felt like that was the narrative here in the United States. And yet the poverty level in the United States is 31 times higher than the average poverty level in the world. And she was saying that, you know, that people have this weird false sense of of satisfaction. And that's what we're talking about, I believe, is this scarcity mindset. Oh, well, I'm not satisfied at this level, even though it's 31 times higher than it is of the world. And, and so they will never be, she was saying they will never be satisfied because they are told and they have this attitude that they're not getting things that they need. And she was trying to say is what you need is to participate in society yourself and to feel good about yourself. And so I thought it was a very, very uh, timely article and, and reminded me, Rachel, what you just said. Yeah, I think I, yeah. that's very fascinating. And if we're always looking for more money to be the solution, we'll realize that when you make that income that you thought was your goalpost, it's not going to feel like what you thought it was going to feel like. And then you're going to need more. And most people studies show 
if they said how much money do they need to feel satisfied, it's twice as much as they currently make. But that's a moving target and it always is going out forward into the future and and more than what you currently have. And so if the focus is on the money and thinking that money is going to solve all these problems, A, you're not going to make the money because you have an improper perspective of money in the first place. But it also is putting way more uh, stock in what money will do for you than it really has, has and can hold. Yeah, I remember about 20 years, 20 ish years ago, I went on a mission trip to Mexico during this year that I, I was in this ministry training program. <clears throat> uh, and they took us out to this, uh, I don't know, the mountain, this hill area, right? Where you could overlook this massive city up on the hill on the side. And all you see is immense poverty. I mean, people are just like the, makeshift shack homes next to each other kind of and uh basically said like if you were to take the world and put it into 10 people and those uh you know lucky enough to be born in america or some you know maybe australia some other few other countries you're like one out of 10 right you're in the top 10 percent and so like putting it in perspective right like you've had it so good but yet no matter what it's very easy to fall into the woe is me and or wanting more and never being content. So like there's this, there's this uh, ability to be content with what you have, no matter your circumstances. And that's, that's, that's uh, something that Paul, the, the, the uh, writer of most of the new Testament talked about contentment. Um, I learned to be, he's basically, I want to be content with nothing and with, with, with much. And so <clears throat> just to summarize, all those definitions, right? We can see that the love of money is avarice, right? This excessive or insatiable desire for money. And this desire is insatiable when in the depths of a person's being, money is more important than God and others. Mm-hmm. So even if even if someone was an atheist, if they, they, this, call, this conversation is so, re- understand this is still extremely relevant today, right? You don't have to have even a faith in God to see, to see how like this is an inv- pervasive in society and the mindset of people and understanding this and being able to understand it uh clears a lot of things up right so what the bible is saying in first timothy 6 9 through 10 is that loving money inordinately or in a selfish way is the root of all sorts of evil and people who make money their god or master will likely suffer um and when your goal is just simply to accumulate it and when you love money more than you love god and others there's this misaligned priority that produces all sorts of harmful ways of acting Mm -hmm. and being so uh it all comes down to scarcity right? Uh, we're assigning this undue value to this object of money, but we're not looking at what that money represents, right? That money represents the value created by and for others. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's John MacArthur had this, these danger signs of loving money, right? And I put in parentheses in a bad way, uh, but number one is those who love money are more concerned with making it than with honesty or giving a quality effort. Two, those who love money never have enough. Three, those who love money tend to flaunt it, meaning like not that it's a it's a bad thing to to have nice things, but they, they go out of their way to try to impress people with their things. Uh, four, those who love money resent giving it. Five, those who love money will sin to get it. They'll they'll do things unethically and immoral to get it. So I want to talk about the author. Like we're talking about context. So who who wrote this, right? We're talking about 
um, look at Paul, right? He was a, he was a businessman. And while he wrote most of the new Testament and he was, he was a minister, he was, he was an evangelist, right? He, um, he made tents for a living and he, he did not, he never took money from churches or when he would go places and start churches and as he traveled, he never took money from people. In fact, he talked about this in other, in other parts of the Bible. And, um, it would follow then that his tent making business was profitable and that he desired to be profitable. Um, so clearly Paul as a person didn't believe you should not desire to accumulate money. Like that in and of itself, money wasn't, isn't bad. Right. So, but what he was warning against was an unhealthy relationship with money and an unhealthy desire for it and the need, our need to keep it in its proper place. And, and, and about three, two verses before First Timothy and First Timothy six seven, he said, "After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it." So that implies in a really important question, which is, well, then how if you can't take anything with you, how important is what you leave behind? Right. Which then you have to think about, like, what are the things that can be left behind? Well, that's the relationships, the way you invested in others, the um, the value you created for other people, that's the true value, not the money that represented that exchange. And then Proverbs 13, 22 says, good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren, but the sinner's wealth passes to the godly. Now, the important point here is the inheritance piece. The point is that you're leaving this legacy behind you, right? And so money is, an, is, a, is a necessary tool and an important, great tool to build teams businesses, families, churches, uh, nonprofits, whatever it is. And uh, for any of these enterprises to be successful, you have to consider the people of that enterprise, the real wealth. Mm -hmm. So going back to what is the true nature of money? What is money really representing? The value created by and for others. Um, so it would logically follow that growing both wealth and people while on this earth is a noble effort and part of God's plan for us on this earth. And so leaving a legacy, your le true legacy is the people and or that you're influencing and leaving behind you. And so you see that it starts in the, in the very beginning, even of Genesis, Genesis chapter one, the first chapter, verse 28, he told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it and reign over the fish, birds, and all the animals of the earth. So I mean, you can see from the very beginning, he created, created Adam and Eve and said, be fruitful and multiply, govern over the earth, uh, rule it, reign, reign over the earth. So building teams and knowing that we're not going to be on this earth you know, forever, it's what we leave behind us and how we impact the, the future. So this then, I want to segue into the, the final question on this is if you can love money in the wrong way. And there's more than lots of different words for love, right? Can you love money in the right way? And what would that look like? Uh, Jesus was asked, what is the most important commandment? And this is in Mark 12, 28 to 31. And boils down to his answer was love God, love others. Uh, um, he basically said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. You could literally sum up the gospel in two in two commandments, right? And it's basically what God Jesus was saying was love God, love others. And if you if if you remember nothing else, like basically he was saying these are the two most important things you can do. And um, so if we 
if we have to love ourselves in order to be able to value love and value others if you don't value yourself how can you love others right and so um if you place more money or value on money than you do people then you really don't value yourself and it limits the value that you can give to other people right so yeah i think that's absolutely true it's interesting i mean we could even have a whole discussion here on why we should be focusing on loving ourselves and loving god and loving others that's really the the key money is the tool that facilitates that and that flows out of that or a result of doing those first three things well yeah and so like it's a ton of loving loving money right can we love it in the proper context if i were to say and I have this is kind of a funny story or analogy like if i say i love apple pie right no one's gonna think i don't love rachel my wife right but if i ate it like all i ate was apple pie and i ate it three times a day like that's all i ever did that's all i ever ate then you might think that's an inordinate <laughs> insatiable <laughs> desire for something maybe you really you love it in a bad way it's unhealthy right it's not gonna you're not gonna it's not gonna be good for your body so I mean, uh, um, the the what we're trying to get at here is if you intentionally limit though your wealth potential because you see making money as immoral or wealthy or too much money is immoral, uh, and, and you're going to limit the value that you create for other people, mm -hmm. right? Because if you in turn limit, you're, you're effectively limiting your potential, but then you're also limiting what you do for others and the good that you put into this world. Um, so you know you're loving money in a bad way when you value money over people, right? Um, What's really interesting about this is that I think so often we put so many limitations on ourselves with the amount that we can create. And especially if we're coming from that bad vantage point of money is evil, well then if I make more, I'm, going to self-sabotage my ability to do the most good for people because I feel bad about the amount of money that I'm creating as a result. And that's where so many of these the uh, confusing messages come from. And so if we can just start by accepting that my goal is to serve people the best that I can, and I start from this place of recognizing that I am valuable and the people that I serve are valuable, that lifts a lot of the limits, I think, mm -hmm. and just removes the barriers. So I think to come back, wrap this all up, right? The proper love of money then is the desire to expand your capacity and serve others at your highest potential by exchanging value with others through peaceful trade. I mean, yeah. uh, and you do this by living in alignment with fundamental wealth principles and principles of things that are timeless, right? That you find these, the matter, you know, like gravity, no matter what you jump off a cliff and it's high enough, you're going to, you're not going to survive. Um, <clears throat> wealth is limitless. There's, there's always more, there, you know, there's no lack. Uh, people have intrinsic value, not money. Um, money is meant to be used. So stop being avaricious and limiting yourself by being miserly and hoarding and be willing to invest and spend money on yourself and others. And when you realize prosperity is worth pursuing, you can reach your fullest potential by creating massive value for as many people as you can serve. And if wealth is limitless because of the infinite opportunities for value creation, 
then we need to assign a new definition to money at the idea stage to create a different results in our life and that desiring money in and of itself is not evil. So you want to end on this quote? With- yeah. So this is a quote from um, John and Missy Butcher, and we've had them on the show a couple of times and just really appreciate their perspective. And I think this is um, really just sums up really well what we're talking about here. So this is coming back to the idea stage and think about this, not just for yourself, but for the messages that you give to your children and your grandchildren about money. Here's the quote. What if you had been taught that wealth and prosperity are literally what eliminate poverty and human suffering in this world? And that making money equals not some kind of spiritual defect, but can actually be the highest form of contribution when you get it right? What if at an early age these concepts had been proven to you, not just taught theoretically? actually proven to you in the real world and you had been encouraged by everyone around you to develop and apply your unique talents to the creation of wealth by creating immense value for the people around you and that's the end of the quote from john butcher just a powerful way of thinking what if we didn't have to have that negative self-sabotage self-sabotaging view of money in the first place. And with understanding, we could have a healthy view of money that we could help ourselves to flourish and our children and grandchildren and every person whose lives we touch. I think that would change a lot for so many people. So I hope this was helpful to you today. Kind of a little different type of a conversation, but something really meaningful because if we really look at all of our actions and the financial choices that we make beneath that, we have a viewpoint beneath that we have language and we have philosophies. And if we look really deep, we have this belief system. And so today we're looking all the way back to that belief system, because if we can have the right belief system that not only is accurate and true, but also serves the greatest possibility in our life and others, then we can have the right language and we can have the right actions and we can create the right results that we truly want so that we can reach our goal much faster. I hope this was helpful to you today. Um, I know Bruce, we're just about at the um, top of the hour. We have another appointment. Um, is there anything that you want to say before we close this finally today? No, it's, a, it, I mean, it's, we started this with just about, you know, researching and thinking. Um, you know, I think what you need to do is think, but then you have to think about your thinking. And that's, a, and that's a really deep way of looking at the world. So I don't even think a lot of people even think because thinking's hard. Mm-hmm. And thinking also means you have to take on responsibility for your actions. Where if you don't think, you can just say, well, this person told me this. Or this is the reason why we are in the situation we are because that person told me that's the way we are. So if you do start to think, you need to start to think, why you think that way? And uh, it's a very fortunate, I actually have a, I've mentioned in my, I think on the, on the podcast before, I have a nephew who's a recovering narcotics addict. And it's amazing now, he's over six years clean 
and he is always thinking. And he realized his previous thinking was a limiting belief on how his life was never going to change. So he didn't care. And that's what happens with money, I believe, mm -hmm. is people have this, they think this way. So they get into the scarcity mindset and they're, it's never going to change. And yet what's, what's weird about the whole thing is the reason it won't change is because of the way you're thinking. So you have to think about your thinking. Yes. Yeah. And what's interesting about that is that I'm going to share this really quick. Bruce, you're wearing glasses. Lucas is. We all are actually wearing glasses, every single one of us. And we do not realize that we're looking with a set of glasses at our world around us. But when you realize that you're wearing glasses, you realize you have the ability to remove those glasses or to change out the glasses and choose a new lens to see in a different way. And we own our perspective. You are responsible and accountable for choosing your perspective. We have that agency and that responsibility. So the best thing to do is be around people who will challenge you and your thinking to continue to grow and not stay stuck and limited. So with that being said, I'm going to close this out today. Do you have something else? Just real quick. Uh, this whole thing started because of, uh, <clears throat> I had already had some notes on some of this my own, but really forced me to dive into it because of comments on YouTube. And uh, I've done a bunch of other, a bunch of other things. I'd like to turn this kind of into a little series. There's a bunch of other uh, verses and things I'd like to discuss and kind of, um, I think we'll bring out different aspects of money and in life. And so <clears throat> with that said, if you uh, leave comments, um, mm -hmm. um, the more, the more comments we get, the more, uh, relevant we can make the show to things that people are wondering and thinking. And, um, anyways, yep. Put comments in on the show and uh, let us know what you think. Awesome. Thank you so much for being with us today. If you would like to book an appointment with the Money Advantage team, you can do that over at themoneyadvantage.com. Also like, subscribe wherever you're listening, and we would love to see you next time. In closing, remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated 
and Registered Investment Advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.